Hello, and welcome to the Gravel Ride Podcast, where we go deep on the sport of gravel cycling through in-depth interviews with product designers, event organizers, and athletes who are pioneering the sport. I'm your host, Craig Dalton, a lifelong cyclist who discovered gravel cycling back in 2016 and made all the mistakes you don't need to make. I approach each episode as a beginner to unlock all the knowledge you need to become a great gravel cyclist. This week on the podcast, I'm excited to have Joe Early, one of the co-founders of Tifosi Optics. In 2003, Joe and his wife Elizabeth Early founded the brand to create a cycling eyewear company that was affordable. They were reps in the bicycle industry, as you'll learn in his story, and saw an opportunity to create something that had all the high performance characteristics of the high price brands, but at a more affordable cost. If you've been around the cycling industry for any amount of time, I'm sure you've seen Tifosi Optics out there on the roads. They're the number one selling brand of eyewear and specialty cycling today. I've had the opportunity to run their Rail XC glass for a couple months now. It's a frameless glass, so there's just the the ear pieces on the side attached to a frame. Super lightweight. I've been impressed with the durability and the overall quality. I've been using a lens that changes as the sunlight changes, which is amazing as a gravel cyclist as I'm coming in and out of the woods. I was surprised to learn that even as a railless sunglass, you can change the lenses. They've got a patent pending lock on the side rails that attach to the lens that enables you to kind of unclip it and reclip in a different lens if need be. Super excited for you to get to know this story behind the Tifosi brand that you've seen for so many years. Before we jump in, I did want to thank our friends at Bike Index for sponsoring this week's show. Bike Index is a bicycle registry and stolen bike recovery platform. It's a nonprofit that's been in operation for the last 10 years. It's pretty simple premise. You register your bike by registering your serial number, make, model, and color. That's all you need to do. Once it's in the system, if God forbid your bicycle gets stolen, you come back to the platform and they've built out a whole suite of tools to help you recover your stolen bike. They're integrated with police and pawn industry databases, but almost more importantly, they're connected to a vast community of volunteers that love to look out for stolen bicycles on the various resale platforms that they may find on. If your bike's discovered either by the community, police, or other agencies, They can communicate with you in a privacy-preserving way directly from the Bike Index platform. So I encourage you to take five minutes and register those treasured bicycles. Just go over to bikeindex.org today. With that business behind us, let's jump right into my conversation with Joe. Hey, Joe, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to get into the story of Tifosi. As I was saying to you offline, I've been aware of the brand for, it feels like my entire cycling career. So it's great to have you on and just kind of learn a little bit more of the backstory. And why don't we use that as our starting point? Let's learn a little bit about your backstory. How'd you just, how'd you find cycling to begin with in your life and where'd you grow up? You know, I, I think uh, similarly to you, um, I, you know, at college, mountain biking was catching on like crazy in the early nineties. And, uh, I was spending a summer with my, my older brother who had a mountain bike and I borrowed a mountain bike. And instantly, as soon as I went, uh, I was hooked and uh, really have been in in the sport of cycling ever since. So, you know, early 90s, got into mountain biking, that transitioned to 
road cycling and then cyclocross and then you know gravel road mountain bike although i am recovering from a rotator cuff surgery so i'm just on the road and gravel now no mountain biking for a bit longer but uh but yeah that's how i got um got started in the in the sport i uh, was really just through my through my brother and uh you know, through college, just jumping on a mountain bike. So, um, you know, and then similarly to you, I had a, just a passion um, for cycling, just loved it and um, got my first job out of college and went and did that for a while, sales managing for, for a, a boat dealership of all things. And then um, my wife, uh, Elizabeth, who runs the business with me, her dad was a, a rep in the cycling, in the tractor industry. So he sold like tractor attachments. And I said, you know what, what Henry does, I can, I could probably do that in, in cycling, right? There's got to be some of those out there. So I picked up like a mountain bike action. I flipped to the back for the list of advertisers and I just started calling companies. And um, I love it. we started our own um, independent cycling agency first. So that was our, our first business in the, in the cycling space. Um, we ended up having a very successful agency here in the Southeast. So we're based yeah, right outside of Joe, Athens, Georgia. Where were you in Where were you in college when you first discovered mountain biking? Uh, so I was at University of Georgia. Uh, I spent a, a okay. summer in Birmingham, actually, in uh, Oak Mountain State Park. Any listeners in that area? Uh, one of the best mountain bike places I've ever been to, still today, and I've been riding for really? thirty plus years. Um, so that was one of the first places I was exposed to to mountain biking. But then came back here uh, to college in the fall and. Uh, you know, go dogs, University of Georgia town here. We're in Watkinsville, Georgia, which is about 10 minutes from the University of Georgia in Athens. So, um, and, and I feel like in that sort of early to mid nineties, Georgia actually had a Norba national race over in, in the state. Yeah. So right? actually we had, we had some interesting things. We actually hosted the, uh, the first Olympic mountain bike race here in Atlanta. That's right. Um, yeah. we went to see that. That was crazy. It was, it's so hot here, uh, in the summer. So it was, uh, it was interesting seeing those guys hammer along, but yeah, there's been, um, you know, there's, there's also, I think been a Norman national that used to be up at Solly, uh, in North Carolina, which is right over the, the border, but, um, really active, um, mountain bike scene and, and cycling scene in general here in the Southeast Athens has always been a big, you know, cycling area, the twilight criterium, uh, one of the best probably road, um, cycling events to watch in the States. Cause it's, it's downtown Athens at night. It's when students are in, it's a, it's a pretty electric vibe. So it's a, it's a fun area for this. And would you describe it as being a vibrant cycling community year round in Georgia? Um, yeah, I mean, definitely there's pockets of, of areas where it's not as accessible. You know, if you're, if you're in parts of Atlanta, you know, the, the, just with traffic and everything else, it's just not as accessible as a lot of other cities. Athens yeah. seems is a, is a pretty good community. We're in Watkinsville, which is a small town outside of it, but there's a lot of, you know, Atlanta does have the Silver Comet, which is a rails of trail that goes all the way from Atlanta proper all the way out to the Alabama state line. Um, and so it's, it's a nice uh, venue to have there. So it's a, you know, it's a, it's a very cycling friendly community overall just i wouldn't ride on a lot of the roads in in atlanta it's a little bit hairy just because of the amount of volume and there's not a lot of dedicated like some cities a lot of dedicated um bike lanes so you mentioned you and your wife started an independent rep agency focused on the cycling industry what were the first products that you picked up oh my gosh the first products we picked up um brands that are gone now um rocket power parts which was like a, a glove company um we did cantina mountain bike gear um kuka cranks for a while um but then oh, the first yeah. brands that we picked up that we really started to be able to build a business with um 
Louis Garneau Apparel uh, out of Quebec City, and then uh, Marin Mountain Bikes. They didn't have any sales in our territory, but we were able to start building a business with those brands. And then uh, over time, we picked up you know, a lot of great brands. Um, we were doing CD Shoes, Easton, when they launched their cycling um, products independently from selling through other people, doing their, their carbon fiber products. Um, gosh, what else do we have? We did Cliff Bars, another Southeast company, Defeat Socks. Uh, we did sunglass brands. We did a lot of different or a couple of different sunglass brands over the years. Um, and that's kind of what led to Tifosi. We had a very successful cycling agency. We were selling what was at the time the number one you know, cycling sunglass. And I would make a great commission it, for those of your listeners who don't understand what an independent rep does. It's you're a 1099 independent contractor. You only make money on what you sell. So it's not like these companies are paying you a, a salary. It's if you sell a, one of their products, you make a commission on it uh, and you're selling to the bike shops. So we would place a, a display of 12 or 24 pairs of these higher end products in, and we get a nice commission at that point. And then yeah. I'd go around the next month to see Craig and say, hey, Craig, you know, uh, what's going on with the sunglasses? It looks like you've sold a pair, you know, and they would sell one or two a month at most. Um, and I'm like, guys, I can't stop the car for one pair of sunglasses. How can we sell some more? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's another like interesting point just to make sure everybody understands is like as a independent sales rep, you're going out and visiting throughout the territory. Maybe it's Georgia or the broader Southeast and you're visiting every single shop and your job is to figure out how to sell the products you're obviously selling, but what what's selling in the shops? Like what should you be bringing to them? Cause that's how you make money. Yeah. And it's, it was a great, um, great business. Loved it. I'm still, in fact, my, my former agency, a fellow who worked for me runs it now. Um, so still, still exists. Um, great interacting with the retailers. Cause what's great about the cycling industry is that the, the retailers and the shop owners in the shop buyers, they are the market. You know, they're kind of like me and you, they got into it because they, they like cycling. There's not a lot of people in the cycling industry that, oh, well, I just, I, I wanted to, you know, start a, a great business and make millions of dollars. So I'm going to go sell bikes, right? It's just not that type of market. So, <laughs> um, you know, you're interacting with people who get the product. They get what is exciting to their consumers. Um, and so that was that was a great learning experience just overall about products and demand and what selling through products, um, you know, and we consistently see our retailers and they'd have sold a pair of sunglasses. And as we were talking to them, the feedback was if they had something that was nice at a, at a lower price point, they thought they could sell, you know, more products. Um, at the same time, you know, I knew lots of reps in other territories. So we just started calling other reps in other territories going, hey, do you see something like this? And at the time, um, what we were focused on was the interchangeable sunglasses. So in, in mountain biking and cycling in general, the idea of being able to, to swap your lenses out quickly and easily and have those in a package, um, it was available, but the brands it was available in, it was generally 100 to 150 or $200 or more. Um, yeah, and it feels like a lot of times you would buy the glass and you'd have to buy the lens exactly. separately. So it wasn't just $150, exactly. it was $210 all in. Even the brand I was selling at the time, you know, I'm going to them going, hey guys, just give me a product that comes with the lenses and retails at even 100 and I could sell quite a few of these. And so our idea was to come to the market with three lenses and be able to retail it at $50 or $60. And, um, you know, we talked to other reps in other territories and consistently feedback was no, they don't see something like this or yeah, there's something there, but it's just not very nice. 
Um, and meanwhile, there was a, a large e-commerce retailer that a lot of you guys knew in the day and, and still exists now, but Performance Bike was based in my territory. So they had a big mail order component and they had about a hundred stores and they were doing it. They had a sunglass that had three lenses and a case and it retailed for about 50 bucks. So we can do it. Yeah. It's gotta be there somewhere. So, um, in 2003, we, we said, okay, let's do it ourselves. 2002, we made the decision. We went over and, and found some sourcing and, um, we brought, I think a total of 23 SKUs, 24 SKUs to market that first year. Um, yeah, I was going to ask, how did you, I mean, that there's a, it's a big step between here and there, which is like, okay, we have this idea. We think a price point is viable at 50, $79, whatever it was at the time, but actually sourcing glasses, you're an enthusiast. Your wife's an enthusiast. You understand the market. It was not going to be feasible for you to put out, you know, super low quality glass and have any vision for Tifosi surviving. So how did you get to creating a product that met your own expectations as well as the price expectations? Yeah. So, um, you know, we made a trip. I made a trip. She ran everything here. Um, went to a huge optical show over in, uh, in Hong Kong actually, and met with, had to be 300 different suppliers, factories there, and uh, had the yeah. concept of what we wanted, had kind of the the three lens, had some examples of what we we're looking for, and just literally went and met with every single one of them there over a, a four-day uh, trade show. And we found three, maybe four, that we thought could do the quality and had the products. And we started with you know open mold products. So we said, hey, we're looking for products that already exist like this. And yeah. um, we found those. We we quickly, even starting in you know late in year one, we started developing our own molds and our own products, our own designs. But we started with things we negotiated an exclusive for North America with them and said, "Hey, don't sell these to other people. We like this design." And we brought uh, a collection to market from there. Um, we've been very very fortunate in that um, you know one of those partners that we started with in two thousand three is a partner we still work with today. So we've got longstanding relationships. Yep. All of our products are, are made in Taiwan, um, not in mainland China, but uh, well, all with the exception of one. We do have one product, uh, our aviator, that's made there because there's no metal production of sunglasses generally in Taiwan. Um, but uh, yeah, we, we were really fortunate to partner with somebody there and then started quickly trying to develop our some proprietary products thereafter. But uh, we were fortunate in that we had the sales apparatus with the the sales agency that we kind of knew how to sell things. And Elizabeth, yeah. my wife was running uh, an East coast warehouse for one of our companies. Um, so she already knew the pick pack shipping operation side of things. So we, all we needed was the product fortunately. Yeah. Um, to kind of Question out. for you on that, on that product, Joe, I always think about sort of the lenses and the quality of lenses being important for cycling, right? Absolutely. We all want to feel confident that if a rock hits us, it's not going to break, et cetera. Was that, with the lens quality already there with these manufacturers, they understood like they need a high impact lens. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, the, the idea of a polycarbonate lens, uh, which is what we source on most of the products we do, we offer shatterproof product lenses on all of them. Some of our photochromics use a little bit different material, um, because of the technologies involved, but they're all shatterproof. You know, you can hit them with a hammer. They won't break. That technology was there. Um, and you'd be shocked at, you know, the higher end brands, high price brands that are being made in, in those facilities already. Um, so we, we knew yeah. from, Hey, what they're already making, they can make the quality we're looking for. So we were, okay, we were so fortunate you, in you, that standpoint. We did learn a lot about lenses because, you know, for instance, our first 
polarized products that we offered, we were using a, what's called a tack lens, which is not something we were recommending recycling at the time. Um, we moved out of that just in year two, just because it's, it doesn't have as much impact protection as like what we have with all the products now, but the lens yeah. quality and the impact protection from like the interchangeable sets, um, it was there. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. This is really rounding out the Tifosi story for me because knowing that you guys were within the industry and were independent reps and intended on going into the bike, local bike shops from the get-go mm -hmm. is super interesting. So I, I presume sort of in those first years, you were able to kind of tap into obviously your the local Southeast region where you already had a lot of personal connections, but it also sounds like you had connections in other regions to sign up other independent reps to start exactly. putting the product out You know, there. it's a, it's a relationship business and cycling. Um, you know, I, I, both we sold it in the Southeast with our agency, but then we were able to contact, we knew who the good sales reps were in all the other territories. Um, now it's yeah. a, as a pioneering brand that didn't have sales, that was a challenge to get, you know, good reps on board, but we were really blessed. Um, and we were having really good success with it here. We got a, I think we only started with six territories um, to begin with. Um, so call it six or eight total reps. You know, now on the cycling side of things, we probably have at least 35-ish um, in that space. Yeah. So we started small with that. But we went from zero to 500 retailers in the very first year. Um, just word of mouth, yeah. the retailers, word of mouth with the, the reps. You know, when we placed the product in the retail stores, they started checking it right away and at a very high turn, generally in the same, you know, retail location, we're going to sell seven or eight times as fast as their $150 sunglass that they carry. Um, so we were very fortunate in that. And so we went from 500 dealers to a thousand. And now in the U S we have about 3,500 retailers um, doors that carry the product. And that's in the cycling space, which we're the number one market share. We have about 74% of the market um, in cycling specialty stores. So seven and a half out of every 10 pair of wow. sunglasses they sell is a pair of Tifosis. Um, But we're, you know, a top brand in the running space, uh, in outdoor. We're carried in every REI location out there. Uh, we actually have a really strong business um, in the golf, golf arena. Um, we saw that as an adjacency. And so we're primarily focused on sport products. Um, but, you know, cycling was kind of where we started and where still our largest kind of single market in the U.S. is today. But we have distribution now in about 35 other countries. Um, and almost all of those are cycling um, specific types of distributors. Got it. How, how, when did you sort of uh, extend beyond the initial cycling industry and kind of go into running and multi-sport? You know, um, we, we actually, so running was was adjacent but we really didn't we didn't know it um we had uh, a lot quite a few of our a couple of our reps were doing segoy in the day and segoy yeah. was a strong cycling brand but they had a very strong running apparel brand and um almost by accident we had some reps who were doing segoy already and so they're calling on run stores and so they just started pitching tofosi to them and they started picking them up and they were selling them and they were like we didn't even realize that i think mpd came to us maybe back in which is a used to be it's a retail reporting software a company that, that collects retail data yeah it was probably 2006 or 2007 we were the number one market share in running specialty stores and we didn't even know it um our market share was actually <laughs> stronger than it was in in pike uh, it was just a smaller market there's not as many right running specialty doors as there are cycling doors um so it really started even, you know, in late 2003, we had some adjacency, we were picking it up 
And then kind of 2004, 2005, we realized, hey, this is a great other area. Same thing for golf. We saw that as an, as an easy adjacency. So we started knocking on those doors with other independent reps. So we knew the independent rep world. We knew how, to, how they operate and we set up our business to make it easy for them to, to write orders and to get business and, uh, and to make commissions. And so that, that worked very, very well for us building our brand, you know, through, through the retail network. And Joe, how have you guys thought about product development over the years? I mean, obviously like sunglasses have been very trendy and there's been sort of an evolution. Maybe it comes from tastemakers. Maybe it's artificially inserted into our tastes from bigger brands with bigger marketing budgets. But I'm just curious kind of how you see product development and putting the best product possible out there. Yeah, I mean, our we have three legs to the company stool that we talk about. And number one is product. We, we feel like we have to bring out, you know, very high quality, technical bells and whistles, sunglasses that um, people can use for, you know, these crazy sports that they go out and do, you know, um, cycling, gravel cycling is some of these events, it's brutal on the product. So we feel like that's like the first leg of the stool. And it's certainly you see evolution um, with the product, but we're looking for what are technical benefits that we can bring to make the experience for the end consumer better. You know, and so it started like the first feature was coming with multiple sets of lenses, right? It came with multiple sets of lenses, came with a case, retailed around $60. Um, you know, over time, we found other features that we thought, hey, this this really makes it better. We were always noticing that with, with all the cycling helmets, the retention system started really changing and they were bigger or smaller. And so then your eyewear stems would interact with them either in a negative or in a positive way. So we started adding adjustability to the ear pads so that you could adjust them to get them to be the right fit for you. And then we noticed, okay, the same thing's true for noses, your nose, my nose, you know, your wife's all different. So if you can adjust the nose pad, that makes it, you know, a better experience for them when they're doing these, these crazy events. Um, and then we noticing, you know, like putting ventilation in lenses, um, We've, we've gone so far now as we have like a utility patent on our, what we use on the rail system now, but started with our podium design. It's a, it's a shield rimless design that you can interchange the lenses easily on. So just looking for these innovations that would make it easier for the end consumer and make their experience better. Um, photochromic lenses, you and I were talking about beforehand. That's been a, a huge part of our business. You know, these lenses darken and lighten automatically. In about 12 seconds, they'll go from light to dark. And so when you're talking about, you know, gravel events with different, um, you know, lighting conditions, you start first thing in the morning, you want something lighter, but then you, when you're at the peak of the day and you're out on Mount Tam, like you're talking about the blazing sun, you want it to be, to darken up, but you don't want to, have to pull over and swap out the lenses. So there's been a lot of technical innovations that kind of happened over the years. There is some fashion to it, Craig, for sure. Um, you know, it's, it's got to look cool and it's got to look cool to the end consumer and what everybody considers cool it does change over time. Um, you know, yeah. we've definitely seen that right now on the sports side of things, you know, the big shield is, is absolutely where the market is at. They want consumers looking for something that's flatter, uh, which actually for the end consumer optically is a little bit better. Uh, these flat lenses um, give a distinct look, which is why most of the consumers are buying them. But the fact that they have less yeah. curve actually makes their optics a little bit better too. Um, okay. So, you know, and then we have another whole side of our business that's more what I would consider sport lifestyle products. Um, in 2018, we launched a product called Swank, which is, um, you know, it's, it's a lifestyle looking glass, but it's made with the same frame and lens materials that we make the, you know, $80 interchangeables with. So you can go 
you know, do a, a gravel race in it, or you can go hang out in the coffee shop with it. And that's been one huge change in, uh, in the business in the last, you know, six years. That's now 60% of the volume. And do you find that some of the, the cycling shops are picking up those more casual? Yeah, they almost all do both. Lines as well. They almost all do both. Okay. In fact, up until um, actually still in units, the Swank model that we sell is the number one selling sunglass in the cycling industry. Um, and funny story, we were talking about the vegan cyclists before uh, we started recording. Tyler rides with both. He'll ride our rail, which is our top of the line kind of sport piece. And then he'll wear our yeah. Swank XL. And he's doing these crazy long events in what I consider something to be way more casual. It's got him fully protected, but he loves the way it looks. He loves the way it fits. And you know, that's 80% of the battle. You want to have something that's comfortable, comfortable for you that, that you're comfortable with when you're out there doing these things. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Do you think about product development? If we talk about cycling specifically, do you think about mountain bikers differently than you do gravel riders or road riders, or do they all kind of end up merging together? You know, I think there's a lot of crossover because I mean, how many of us are there that we do, we do it all, right? I mean, I started mountain yeah. biking, then I got into road cycling, and then I cyclocross, and then I do gravel. I use the same pair for all of them, um, personally. There are some nuances, you know, in the mountain biking space. Um, there is a little bit of preference to have something that's more full frame. Generally, where that comes from is, um, you know, there's some, some mindset that, hey, if I crash, if it's got a frame on the bottom, that's not going to cut me. I'm telling you from personal experience and from seeing tons of pictures over the years. If you crash hard enough, it won't matter whether you got a full frame or you don't have a frame. You got that, yeah. that possibility out there. Um, but I think, you know, most people these days are doing multiple disciplines. You know, yeah. when you're gravel cycling, you're, pre you're mountain biking. A lot of times you're doing single track, you're doing fire roads, you're doing road for certain parts of it. So those lines are so blurred now that I think the product tends to be quite a bit blurred as well. It used to be much more niche, like, oh, if it's an open lens glass, that's for roadies. And then if it's a full frame, that's for mountain bikers. I don't see as much of that anymore. There's still some yeah. of it, but it's not nearly as much now. Yeah, I have to say when I first started riding the rail, my my initial reaction was, this thing is so light. Can it possibly withstand? I mean, it's not like I go around crashing my face into things, but it was just this reaction I had, like, is this going to be durable enough? And gosh, I've been wearing that glass for maybe at least a month now. And Fortunately, knock on wood, I haven't crashed it, but I think I've, I've, I no longer think about durability as an issue yeah. at all with that. I mean, we, we literally, when we started, it's like we kind of talked about it's, you know, people say, well, if it's, if it's $80 and it's got all the features of this $250 sunglass, well, what's wrong with it? That's the, the impression. We yeah. would go to trade shows with a hammer and we literally would put lenses on the ground and we start hammering on the trade show floor just so people could see that, hey, this is going to protect you. Um, you know, why, how can we do it? Why, why is, you know, why is brand X $250 if you try to put three lenses with it and we're able to sell them for $80 or even have high quality products like Swank that retail all the way down to $25? Well, it's a couple of things. One, we're based in Watkinsville, Georgia. None of y'all have heard from it because it's the middle of nowhere almost. You know, we're 10 miles outside of Athens. We're not based in Southern California. So our cost of doing business is much lower. Um, number two, our marketing budget is tiny, right? I mean, you don't see full page ads with all the top pro, pro tour riders. We don't pay, you know, those, those guys, we just don't, we don't have the budget for that. We're trying to give the consumer that high quality product at a value. 
and the way we do it is we've just got a lot smaller budgets overall. And we don't make nearly the margin that the high-end sunglass manufacturers do. Um, so that's kind of the, the secret in the sauce. Um, you know, it's, it's we control our overhead for things and we don't pay for, you know, crazy, crazy spins. We don't have the money to do that. So we're delivering the consumer a great product and they buy lots of it. Yeah, I think, you know, that in the absence of this conversation, I would have assumed you were only a direct consumer brand and that's how you were able to achieve the, the price points that you are. So the fact that you're also affording a margin to your specialty bicycle retailer and running shops is quite impressive and maybe more illustrative of what the cost of production actually is and what the cost of all those massive marketing budgets are for some of the bigger sunglass companies. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a highly competitive space. I mean, most people know there is one company out there that's $25 billion in sales and they really mostly 99.9% of their business is on the ultra high end. And, you know, from their standpoint, they have a great business. They can sell it for $300, then they should. If someone will pay for it, then you're great. Uh, I've just never been wired that way. I was not that guy. I just can't get my mind around it because we've all had that high-end brand and we drop them a week after we buy them and the scratch is right in your field of vision and you've got a sick feeling in your stomach for this crazy expensive purchase you made that suddenly is now ruined that you've got to go and spend more money to fix. Um so that's just never been never been our motto. It's all about having that value for the end consumer. Got it. And Joe, if you were to recommend something in your lineup, and I know there's a lot of personal preference that goes into this, but if you were to recommend one set of glasses for a gravel cyclist out of your lineup, what would it be and why? Um, for me, it would be the Rail Series. Um, so we have a standard rail, we have a Rail XC and a Rail Race. They're all the same frame. Um, I like it because it's completely rimless. Um, I like the completely rimless glass because you don't have to worry about fogging as much. So even if you're in a single track section down here in Georgia where it's super humid, if you're moving a little bit, it's going to bring some airflow and you have nothing impeding your field of vision. You don't have a frame anywhere that you really notice in the activity. So, um, and I would recommend looking at one of what we call phototech, which is a photochromic option. We've got, um, both a clarion red and a clarion blue phototech. What is that? These are, these are glasses that have a slight mirror to them. So um, they're very light colored when they're not activated, but then when you're in full sun, you know, they're going to give you a, a lot of shade. I have blue eyes, so I need that when I'm out there in full sun. And when you ride here in Georgia, mostly riding in full sun. Um, so I would definitely look at the rail series. That is, that's our best selling, you know, performance um, sport piece in the line today. Yeah, that's the one I'm using. I'm using the the blue one, and it's the first time I, I put it on in my garage. It's really funny because it's like put it on. I looked in a mirror just to kind of see the color, and then I walked outside. And to your point, like it changes pretty rapidly. Um, really cool technology, and and to your point, like for an off road cyclist, that versatility of the the lenses changing themselves is super helpful because you don't have to change when you go in the woods. It's going to automatically kind of just change that that mirror element or the darkness that you're experiencing looking through them. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a technology that we started offering in 2005 um, and it's come a tremendous way now. I mean, these mirrored versions that we have now, those are just available in the last three seasons um, that we just started offering those. That's not something you really see a lot of out there. Um, and we've definitely seen a lot of, a lot of end consumers on the cycling side of things love these because um, one, look, we all want to, 
we think we look cool um, with the helmet and the lycra on and all that. Um, but definitely having that mirror out there, it, it looks cool too. So it, it definitely gives that, that uh, the fashion factor that we all are looking for. Nice. And the, the, the rail in the non-photochromatic lenses, you've got, it sounds like you've got several op, uh, options there as well. What do those, what do those look like? Are those yeah, so, clear lenses, dark lenses? So those are going to come with three lenses. The lenses that come in the frame will be a shaded lens, you know, probably mirrored um, more for full sun conditions. Okay. They'll come with what we call an AC red, all conditions red. That's a good like mid light conditions. If you're unsure what you're going to be doing, go with the AC red. And then we always put a clear lens in the package. Um, You know, still a lot of people that like to ride at dusk or at night. And so this gives you a great night riding option there. Uh, All those, you can swap them out in just a couple of minutes. Um, Not even a couple of minutes inside of, you know, a minute once you're, once you're comfortable with them, they're very easy to swap those lenses in and out, in and out. And we do find people that, you know, they'll buy a photochromic option and then they want to buy an extra lens to have, you know, you can get all those on our website. We offer custom, you know, products. So you can go on our custom, you know, portal on the web site and build up a rail with whatever frame color you want, whatever lens color you want, whatever ear pad color you want. So you can fully customize it. Nice. Since I got the photochromatic one, it didn't have multiple lenses. So I'm curious, how do, how do you actually take the lens out? Because it's a frameless design. So for the listener, you've got the 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 ear ear pieces going directly into the lens itself. So yeah, we got some Jerry's going to hold up a pair of glasses on, on the side. I've got the glasses in front of me here. Um, but this this mechanism on the side here, it basically there's a little cam here. This this has a little flex into the back side of the frame. This is a pattern we have, um, and so it allows this frame to flex and then just pull off. So got it's it. it's almost like a little bottle opener almost. And then when you put it back in, you just put it in the groove there and you just snap it on. It's just rotating it up and rotating it down. So it's it's actually very, very simple. The biggest thing is, Craig, don't be scared. You know, these yeah. these glasses, and I do this, uh I do this for people all the time too. Let me grab a um I'll grab a sample. Oh shoot. I don't have a good sample here to do it with, but our glasses with the the frame material we use. You can twist them 180 degrees like this, so you're not going to break them. And like I said, you can hit them with a hammer and they won't break. So don't be scared. Um, But we do. So I can let my nine-year-old, I can, I can let my nine-year-old manhandle. Well, I'm telling you, nine-year-olds and dogs are our two nemesis. Um, That and my wife's purse. Uh, If I want to torture test a pair of sunglasses, I just don't tell her and I put them in her purse and leave them there for a month. If they come out and they're in any type of shape to wear after that, then I know that they're going to be a good product. (laughs) Yeah. I like that. I like that. Joe, this was awesome. I appreciate getting the backstory. Like I said, I've been familiar with the brand for so many years and I'm I'm thrilled to actually own a pair now and get to use them and really can personally vouch for the quality and just super excited to hear that entrepreneurial journey. And I wish you guys all the best. Well, thank you so much for having us, Craig. And um, you know, if we can help you anytime in the future, feel free to give us a shout. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Gravel Ride Podcast. Big thanks to Joe for sharing the Tifosi Optic story with us. I loved hearing it. I've been familiar with the brand for so many years. So it was great to, A, hear the story from the horse's mouth, and B, finally get a chance to try these glasses. They've definitely become my go-to lenses when I'm out there riding, regardless of condition, because I've got a couple different sets of lenses. I can go out on Dawn Patrol with a clear set or use the photosensitive lenses for most of my daytime riding. Anyway, hope you enjoyed the show. Check out their website at tifosioptics.com to learn more. If you're able to support the show, ratings and reviews are hugely appreciated. 
Also, you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash the gravel ride if you're able to financially support the show. Until next time, here's to finding some dirt under your wheels.